All right, our scripture reading this morning is Matthew 5, 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when the others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they, put, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. We are continuing our sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount. And today, we're going to look at what might, what might be the most significant of the Beatitudes that Matthew records for us. And I'll explain why I think that in just a minute. Um, but I can't, I can't remember if we phrased it like this before. But in the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is inviting us to something. He's inviting us to something. Not just a a particular way of thinking, not just a, a certain set of ethics. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is inviting us to experience fullness of life. I don't I really don't think I'm overstating that by making that statement. Jesus, as he's preaching to the people, he's inviting them. He's even challenging them to rethink the way they view their, ex- their existence. There's something existential about what Jesus is saying here. He's inviting the people and he's inviting us to experience life in the kingdom of God. I don't know what kind of invitations you've received in your life. Maybe you've been invited to meet someone famous or you've been invited to some exclusive business meeting or uh, on a free vacation to an amazing destination, whatever kinds of invitations you've received in your life, you will never be invited to something more amazing than this. I remember being a high school football player and getting recruited by colleges to come and visit and see if I wanted to play for their team. And when you go on these visits, these, these schools, they really roll out the red carpet for you. You go to the best restaurants, you get to meet important people who are affiliated with the school. They really, they make you feel as a 17-year-old kid like you are the most important person in the world. They extend quite the invitation to you in the form of a scholarship to try to get you to come and commit to being part of your team. And that, that invitation is nice. It makes you feel pretty cool, pretty important. But friends, those, that kind of invitation, those that I've mentioned earlier, they're nothing compared to what Jesus offers to us. He's inviting us to experience true life in the kingdom of God. Jesus is providing a picture for what the people of God actually look like. And if you think about the the previous weeks that we've been in the Beatitudes, this picture is a lot different from what we might expect. So there's a lot going on in the Sermon on the Mount. We're gonna see this as we continue in future months. It's, It's about more than Jesus extending an invitation. But we need to keep that in mind as we finish the Beatitudes today and continue to think about what is Jesus saying? How does it apply to our lives? Jesus is inviting us to reorient the way that we think about our lives and the way we think about our existence. 
Now, before we look at our text and try to get to the core of what Jesus is saying, I want to point something out that I think really affects how we view what Jesus is saying in his sermon introduction here in the Sermon on the Mount. Look back with me at verse 3 of Matthew 5, if you have your Bible open. Look back at verse 3. Now, there's a good chance that some of you already noticed this, but I want to make sure that we all see it together. This is the first blessed statement in Jesus' intro here. Matthew 5, 3. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now back to verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So why does, why does Jesus use that statement twice? For, their, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He uses it in verse 3, and he uses it in verse 10. Why, why does Jesus do that? Well, this is what's known as an inclusio. And this is key, this is important. It may seem like nerdy stuff here, but this is important for how we understand the Beatitudes. The inclusion of verse three and verse 10 means that all that's listed in between these two verses can be included under that title, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes, and I would say the rest of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in some ways, is about, and not even just some, in many ways, is about the kingdom of heaven. The poor of spirit, the poor in spirit of verse three, they enter the kingdom and they'll be persecuted because of righteousness as they continue a part of the kingdom. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven belongs to the kinds of people that are described in the Beatitudes. And not only is he just saying that with his words, but Matthew is structuring this in a way so that we can't miss it. The structure of this section, it also lets us know in my estimation that verse 10 is the eighth Beatitude. This is why this is important. That means that this is the only Beatitude that gets expanded in the way that Matthew records it for us. Not only would this be significant for Matthew's audience, as he's writing his gospel, but it's significant for us as well. And I, I give you that little preface there at the beginning because I want you to be able to notice little nuances in Scripture. I think an understanding of word placement and why things are structured the way that they are, it helps us to have an even deeper grasp and a deeper appreciation for what God's word is saying. And I don't, know, I don't know about you, I may just be speaking for myself here, but it makes me love God's word even more. Nothing's out of place, nothing is insignificant. Well, it's been a couple minutes since we read our passage, so I'm gonna read it again, and then with the Spirit's help, uh, we will apply it to our lives. So let's read Matthew 5, 10 to 12 again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus, he doesn't offer his congratulatory blessing on those who are pursuing some sort of religious political cause. He doesn't say that the flourishing life belongs to those who have reached the pinnacle of worldly success. The good life 
doesn't belong to those who never face struggles, never face difficulties. No, Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. The ones who will be persecuted are the ones, the people who live as Jesus lived, in full submission to the will of the Father and in relentless love towards others. Righteousness of life is imitation of Jesus. I mentioned last week that righteousness is an important word in Matthew's gospel. And here, what, what Jesus is saying is that his followers, they will be persecuted if they orient their lives around his will. Jesus's persecutors will, or Jesus's followers will be persecuted if they orient their lives around his will. Now righteousness, sometimes when we hear that word, we think that it just means being good. And somehow we have really messed that up. Righteousness is not just being a good moral person. It's not just being an upstanding citizen. It's about a whole orientation towards God and his will. It's, it's about a particular way of life that puts God right at the center. Now, morality will certainly come from that, but it begins with a heart that is fixated on God. It's, it's very important that we don't reverse the order there because I think in a lot of cases, that is exactly what we've done. We've expected morality to come and people's hearts aren't fixated on God and that's, that's not how it's supposed to work. Brothers and sisters, your life will attract persecution if you receive and accept the invitation that Jesus offers to life in the kingdom of God. That's the first point that I want to make for you this morning. Persecution is expected for the Christian. Persecution is expected for the Christian. The Apostle Paul, he echoes the very same thing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. He writes, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus later in Matthew 10 tells a parable, basically telling his followers that persecution is going to come if they follow after him. And Jesus calls those who follow his way of life those who experience persecution, he calls them blessed. You know, persecution, it looks a lot different depending on the context and the place that we find ourselves in. Persecution in our lives, it probably looks a lot different from some of our brothers and sisters around the world, but that doesn't mean that Jesus thinks less of what some of us are experiencing. I know that there are people in this room, maybe people who are watching that have family members who think they belong to some sort of a cult because they follow Jesus. Maybe that's you here today. I know we have people who have lost friends because they've chosen to honor Christ with the way that they live. Some of you may have lost out on promotions at work. You may have lost clients for your, your business because you've, ch- you've chosen to be honest in how you present things and how you do things. If you've experienced those kind of things, and there's, there's countless other ways, but you've experienced those sort of things, just know that that is not insignificant. And living in a sinful world, it means that we will be rejected at times. You know, for the most part, we in this country, we haven't faced the level of persecution that's been normal for Christians for most of history. Persecution has been the normal thing for Christians throughout history. 
I want to share with you guys a text message that I received from a friend of mine two weeks ago. Uh, This man is laboring in a part of the world that's pretty hostile towards Christianity. It's especially hostile when Christians try to uh, evangelize, share the gospel, and people are converted. Persecution really ramps up then. And just, I guess for safety reasons, I'm not going to share his exact location, where he is. I just want want to be extra sensitive to that. Uh, But this, this pastor, he sent me a picture of three pastors and their families. They all have small children. Some of them look as young as six months. Have, these are young, young families, young pastors. Here's what this guy said to me in the text. He said, these three pastors are working in a particular district of the city that's dangerous. They have good influence and a great church planting movement is going on in this area. Many times these three pastors were threatened. They were beaten up by people. They've tried to shut down their churches. Two weeks ago, some fanatics threatened them and put a complaint against them to the police that they were converting people to Christianity. They told the police, they told the police this, if you don't arrest them, the consequences will be bad. The police called the pastors to the police station They told them to stop meeting and stop all Christian activity. Right now, these pastors are very scared. They're still running the churches. Right now, these pastors are getting threats from many fanatics over the phone that they are going to kill them. And then right after that, he said this. Even in the face of persecution, every day the work of the Lord is increasing rapidly. New house fellowships are being opened and people are getting baptized. Praise God for that, right? Church, what you just heard, that has been the normal experience for most Christians around the world. I remember reading uh, an account of pastors in the underground church in China. And if you know anything about that, you know it's incredible what the Lord has done there. Uh, But these, these pastors... They said they weren't even really considered leaders in their church until they had spent time in jail for their faith. <laughs> it's like we, we look for a seminary degree or Christian leadership experience or all those things and they look to see who's actually been in jail because of their faith. Here's the crazy thing about all this. Jesus calls these people blessed. He says, this is what true life in my kingdom looks like. (laughs) Think about how different the picture of Christianity is, or or that picture of Christianity is, from so much of the stuff that passes for Christianity. (laughs) Christianity in the gospel, it's not just something that you add to your life in an attempt to sort of make your life better. I think the church, in America especially, we've really messed that up. We've we've tried to, to... package and present Christianity in a way that just sort of appeals to consumers. Like the church is our our business, the gospel is our product, we hope you'll buy it. Maybe this is why so many people are looking at the church, they're looking at Christians, they're looking at their lives and they're saying, I want nothing to do with that. Christianity, it isn't about helping you to find a better life. It isn't about helping you to live the American dream. 
Now, life in the, the new community that is the kingdom of God, it, it means suffering to some degree. It means persecution. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book on discipleship, he put it so well. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Friends, make no mistake, we will face persecution on some level if we live as Jesus lived. We, we will be reviled and have evil set on us falsely on the account of our love for Jesus. Now I imagine that some of you, maybe many of you are listening this morning and uh, maybe you're thinking, you know, I've, I really don't ever face persecution. No one ever, no one ever says anything to me because I follow Christ and all of the stuff that you're saying, it sounds interesting, it sounds sad, but doesn't really apply to me. If that's you, I think you need to ask yourself a question and I think all of us need to ask this question. This is for all of us. Is righteousness being displayed in my life if I never face persecution? Am I living a kingdom-oriented life if I never face slander? If I never face things being falsely said about me on account of Christ? I think we have to make sure that we don't confuse persecution with just being a jerk. Some people, they honestly get confused by that. They act totally ridiculous towards someone and in the name of Christ, they would say. I use that in quotes, in the name of Christ. And they call that persecution. Uh, that's, that's not what we're talking about here. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But a humble life lived in a way that honors Christ, church, it will be rejected by the world. Listen to the words of Jesus again in John 15, 18 to 20. Feel these words from Jesus. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. If they keep my word, they will keep yours also. Now I want you, I want you to understand that Jesus isn't just saying, hey everybody, just keep calm, carry on when persecution is present, like just everything's gonna be okay, just carry on. Um, he doesn't just sort of pat us on the head and tell us to keep going. No, what, what Jesus says, it seems even kind of backwards. You might have noticed that in what we've read already. It seems backwards, a sort of response that he, he gives us. He even gets more personal in verses 10 and 12 as compared to verse 10. In verse 10, he says, blessed are those and then we, when he's expanding that thought in verses 11 and 12, he says, blessed are you. He shifts from third to second person. It's like he's, he's leaning into the eyes of his followers. He's looking at them directly in the eye and then he says this, verse 12. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus, how can you say this? 
How can you tell them? How can you tell us to rejoice? How can you say those sort of things to pastors on the other side of the world who are being threatened with death? Their children are being threatened with death. How can you tell them and us to rejoice and be glad? The answer is right in our text, and that's my next point. Persecution reminds us of the reward. Persecution reminds us of the reward. Friends, a reward for following Jesus, it's not fully realized in this life. We know there are without question benefits in the here and now. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We think about the, we talk about the peace that passes all understanding, the new identity, the purpose that we have in Christ, the communion that we have with God through Christ, the certainty of eternal life that, that absolutely affects our here and now, but the fullness of our reward, it will not be received in this life. We look to life after this world. You know, I'm, I'm convinced that we do not spend enough time thinking about heaven. One of the only things that is certain about this life on earth is that it will come to an end. Either we die or Jesus comes back. Those are, those are the only two options. Why do we who belong to Jesus spend so little time thinking about the reward that's coming? There was a pastor in England in the 17th century named Richard Baxter. He was a pastor in the town of Kidderminster. Uh, there were about 2,000 people in his town. Uh, the work there was very difficult, but it was also very rewarding for Baxter. He faced physical suffering. He had health problems. Uh, he faced time in prison even for his views on the church and how it should be led and how it should be governed. Uh, but Baxter, he evangelized almost the entire town of Kidderminster. He was also a prolific writer. Some scholars say that he wrote more books and theological works than any other English writer in the history of theology. In Baxter's book, The Saint's Everlasting Rest, he tells us what provided him with the motivation, what provided him the endurance to continue on. Richard Baxter was committed to thinking deeply about heaven for at least a half hour every single day. Church, he thought about the reward. He thought about what was to come. How many of us actually think about what's coming at the end of this life? I know that that can maybe be uncomfortable to think about. It's not a popular thing to talk about over dinner maybe. But it shouldn't be, especially if you're a Christian. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. A peaceful death at the end of a long life or one that comes violent, violently through persecution, that is gain for the Christian. Doesn't mean we have some kind of death wish. I'm not saying that, we're not asking for that. Doesn't mean we don't face a real level of fear. Just like those pastors that were mentioned earlier, they have a very real level of fear but our confidence, their confidence in Christ is greater. They know that the reward is worth it. 
Christian, don't neglect to meditate and think on the reward that is coming. Don't forget about the rest that is coming. I know we have so many people here this morning who are just longing for rest. And while that rest is found in Jesus in the here and now, we experience deep soul rest because of Christ. This side of heaven will never experience the, the fullness of rest that we desire. Brothers and sisters, think about the reward that's coming. Think about the benefits of heaven that are coming to you. James, in his letter, he writes, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, maybe thinking about heaven for 30 minutes a day, that seems unrealistic to you, and that, I'm not even suggesting that you need to do that, but I am suggesting that we need to think about, especially, especially when persecution is present in our lives, we need to think about the reward that's coming. Perhaps the greatest benefit of persecution is that it forces us, it causes us to gaze at our Savior. That's the next thing I'd really like to point out for you today. Persecution, it forces us to gaze at the Savior. In every age, God's people have been stretched, they've been tested, they've been persecuted. From the prophets of the Old Testament to the disciples to scores and scores of people throughout Christian history, I've mentioned it a couple times, I'll say it again, persecution has been the normal experience for Christians. And I would submit to you that the, those persecuted Christians, they experienced a deeper level of, of or a deep level of joy and satisfaction in the middle of their suffering because their eyes were fixed on the reward. With the, the diamond in that crown, if you will, the highest part of the reward being Christ himself. When we experience persecution, in slander and reviling, we should immediately think of Jesus because that is exactly what he went through. The God-man Jesus Christ, he took on flesh, he was mocked, he was persecuted, he was rejected, he died a criminal's death on the cross. You wanna talk about persecution, look at Jesus. It looked like, like all was lost. It looked like the persecutors had won. But after three days in the tomb, he, he rose. He ascended into heaven. He's made peace by the blood of his cross. And all who place their faith and their trust in him, they're forgiven. All the sin we've ever committed, it's forgiven in Christ. Our brokenness is replaced with wholeness in Christ. The persecutors don't win. The persecutors don't win. The persecuted do because we are one with Jesus. Let your persecution, let your suffering, let the lies that are said about you and all the difficulties that you face on account of your faith, faith uh, let it cause you to gaze more lovingly at your Savior. He knows what it's like to lose friends. He knows what it's like to be called a fool. He knows what it's like to physically suffer for righteousness' sake. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame. Friends, for the, the joy of the reward that's set before us, let's all do the same.
Last night, as I was thinking and praying for our service, uh, I received another text message. It's just so uh, interesting how the Lord does this. I received another text message from the same gentleman that I referenced earlier. And I've shared this story before in pre-service prayer, um, but I'll share it again. Uh, About a month or so ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, in the same region of the world where those three pastors are, a 16-year-old boy who'd become a Christian, he had acid that was dumped on him as he was working because there were people, uh, there were Christians who were gathering and they were praying in his home. And uh, some of the fanatics didn't like that. I don't want to be too graphic here, but this, this boy's skin from the top of his head to the back of his feet, it was just gone. It, it, the acid had just like dissolved his skin. Uh, large areas of his chest had been uh, eaten by this acid. It was a miracle that he survived the attack. Uh, we knew that he had a, a very long road ahead of him if he was going to recover, but we were getting reports that things were looking good. He was improving. Uh, we, had, we had hope that he was going to make a, a, a recovery, whatever that looked like for him. Uh, well, last night, I got a text that said, Natish had breathed his last, and he was with Jesus now. This is the message. It um, said, after much fighting, Natish left this world tonight at 12 o'clock and went to be with the Lord forever. The 16-year-old boy, (laughs) he had received the invitation that Jesus extended to belong to his family. And through faith, he entered the family of God. His commitment to life for righteousness' sake, (laughs) it ended up costing him his life. (laughs) And while we grieve his death, (laughs) we don't grieve as those who don't have hope. Even after that, I I said a little something to him and then he just sent back hallelujah. Natish is with Jesus now. He's enjoying the reward. When we face persecution, no matter what it looks like in our lives here in America, let us also think about the reward with Jesus being that crown jewel and the reward. You know, every, every Sunday... When we gather together, we take communion, we're reminded of what Jesus has done. We get the chance to truly be spiritually nourished through the the very real spiritual presence of Christ that's here. We get to celebrate. I know we kind of ended a little bit on on a serious note, but we do get to celebrate. Natish is celebrating. We get a chance to celebrate, we get the chance to celebrate all Jesus has done including the fact that he is coming back for us. Uh, Regardless of what we're experiencing, we do have reason to celebrate as believers. So if you're a professing follower of Jesus Christ, this communion meal is available for you. Uh, If you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, I would invite you to spend the next few minutes just thinking about the invitation that Jesus is extending to you. He's... Especially in the Beatitudes, we see that he's inviting us into something. And he's inviting you to be part of his kingdom. He's inviting you to be part of his family. A kingdom that, his kingdom is upside down 
compared to the world. It looks radically different from any kind of earthly kingdom that you might imagine. But his kingdom also comes with a a deeper level of peace, a deeper level of assurance, a deeper level of confidence than you could ever imagine. If you're curious about what it means to trust in Jesus, about what it means to, to follow him, come talk to me or talk to anyone else who you've seen up here this morning. Uh, if you feel comfortable, you can even talk to the person sitting next to you. I'm sure they would love to talk with you about what it means to know and follow Jesus. Well, communion will be served at two stations here at the front. Uh, the band is gonna lead us, and as you feel led, if you are a professing follower of Christ, I invite you to make your way forward and you can receive communion. Let's pray. Well, Father, I, I pray for people in this room. We pray for people in this room and people around the world who are facing persecution, who are suffering on account of your name, on account of righteousness sake. Lord, I pray right now in this moment that they'd be strengthened in you. Lord, that you'd help us to set our gaze upon you, to think about the reward that's coming to us. I thank you for the invitation that you extend to us to be part of your kingdom. Lord, I pray that 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 reality for those of us who've received Christ, who belong to the kingdom, Lord, I pray that that would cause us to rejoice, to celebrate, even while we're suffering, even while we think about those that are suffering, Lord, we can celebrate, just like they celebrate. I've seen it in their eyes, the persecuted people, they have this look that they're just confident of what's to come, and I pray you'd give that same thing to us. Father, nourish us this morning spiritually as we take communion together. We love you, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.